The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Pure Hoops podcast. We are recording on Thursday, October 22nd, and we are officially into the off-season Eric Newman with some challenging lighting here in a hotel room. I've been on the road for a week and a half. BJ Armstrong in thy office with the bigs of the game over his shoulders. My friend, a week without talking to you feels like at least six. How are you? What's the latest from the Armstrong camp? Oh, beautiful. I'm I'm really excited about our next guest. Glad to have my my good friend back. You're, You're traveling. You're moving around again, but... I think our next guest uh, is, uh, is, he's terrific. So uh, let's get right into it. Yeah, real quick before we start, um, you know, I sent you a text last week with some images of yourself from another lifetime ago. So I was in I, Chicago I, and I stumbled upon this photographer um, who we got uh, connected to because of the research we're doing for the Garnett film. And it turns out this guy's been documenting basketball through photography since the early 90s. He's a doctor and would get uh, photo credentials. So he would be at Chicago Stadium shooting photography all the time. He covered Farragut 94-95, which is incredible for our film project. And I'm flipping through these books and all of a sudden, boom, B.J. Armstrong, 1992. Boom, B.J. Armstrong, 1993. So had to show you some love. Um, the guy's house is literally like a sports photography museum. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So hopefully I didn't jolt you too much out of your day and send you back in the hot tub time machine. Who is that kid? That's all I can say. Who is that kid? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we also found, I know you, uh, you got a kick out of the story, but remember that story I told you about um, asking you about that pickup game that supposedly went down in this mysterious gym. We found the gym. The gym is in Deerfield. And it's got the Bulls logo on the court, and it used to be called the Metroplex, and it's now a community center. But I'll send you pictures. But long story short, long story short, my reconnaissance mission on the road uh, over the last week and a half uh, has gone very well. So good to be back here today. And uh, you know, this next guy, I know you guys have a great history. Uh, Really excited about today's guest. Been watching him uh, for a long time. Do his thing. BJ, for as long as we were in thy bubble, and our guest was there, and he has been uh, adjusting to life outside the bubble, and we'll intro him in a moment, but um, it's it's already uh, the off-season season, and uh, the draft is approaching, new coaches are being hired, and, um, you know, the free agency murmurs have already begun, the Strange trade proposals are out there. So uh, I, th- I think it's time we, we, we dig into what's next. 
Yes, I, I guess you have no comment on that, my friend. <laughs> oh, you're talking to me. I, I know who you're talking to. I know who you're talking to. Oh, for sure. All right, let's definitely dig into it. Our next guest here will uh, give us a, a lot to you know to discuss here, and hopefully, he'll have some insider uh, information that we can uh, take a deep dive into what's going on for free. And, and I know, and, and I know you go way back with him, so. No, no, you go. I, I know you're back. You're back. Your no, introduction is, is yours. No, 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 you, yeah, I, I can't. I, I can't. It wouldn't. It, it wouldn't be the show if you. If you. If we did it that way. You. You got to go. You got to go. Hey, Coos Smith, NBA.com. You see what I have to deal with every week here with Mr. Armstrong. <laughs> Welcome to the Pure Hoops Podcast. It's great to have you on, my man. How are you? And how has the adjustment been uh, since you departed the bubble? Oh uh, man, I appreciate y'all having me on and. Uh, it's been it's been strange. Um, freedom is a is a weird thing when you haven't had it for <laughs> a few months. When you have, when you haven't had the opportunity to just get up and go and do whatever you want. So really, took my wife kind of lead me around by the hand, um, reminded me how how to get around our neighborhood and where to go, what store to go to, what to get. Because I didn't drive. You know, it's weird. That's that's the longest stretch since I got my license that I hadn't been behind the wheel of a car, you know, two months without having to drive anywhere. Uh, my left foot was real. Like I was flying around the neighborhood. She's like, yo, you gotta, like, what are you doing? I was like, sorry, I hadn't driven in two months. Like, I'm trying to get it back, trying to get back in the swing of things. So it's, it's unique. I mean, I missed the ball. The basketball in the bubble was ridiculous. I mean, for, for hoops lovers like us, it was paradise, you know, getting up, going to the gym every day, going to practice, going to games, going to practice, going to games. It's what we live for. Um, but it, I'm just glad we got through it. I wasn't sure it would come off and be finished the way it did. I'm, I'm proud of everybody involved for, for sticking it out and for everybody making it out safely. You know, so when you were down there, you know, what was the camaraderie like? Because you know, normally you don't get a chance to see the other teams. Right now, you you play a game and then after the game, everyone's kind of walking around in flip-flop shirts. What was that interaction like, just everyone kind of being in the same, really, their personal space? Yeah, it, it was a trip. Um, like, I see the refs all the time. I've seen them for 20 years now. Like, you, they stay in the same Marriott's we do as reporters. You know, so you see them on the road. You might see them on a flight. But seeing them at the pool every day. My, my room, room 4222, was right above the pool. And the pool was the referee hangout, like James Capers and his crew holding court every night, like card games, watching movies, bring it, they bring a TV out and set it up on a table and watch it together. Um, you know, they worked out, they walked every day, Mark Davis, Tony Brothers, a bunch of them. Um, Capers was no doubt the ringleader, by the way, just in case anybody ever needs dirt. <laughs> Capers was definitely the ringleader of that referee crew, but it was, it was weird like you mentioned, BJ, just being in each other's ecosystem the whole time. Like, literally, you wake up, you go get something to eat, you know, you you work out, whatever, you're seeing these same people. It's the same small group of people that were in the bubble. And you think about it now, the only people that wrote it all the way through were league officials, the two teams that made the finals, the media, and the referees. Um, so, like, we had spent so much time together. Somebody joke to me the last day we were getting out and we had to take a test you had to take another COVID test the morning you left 
And I don't even know who the dude was because every time I saw him, he had a, a mask on his face. But he was like, hey, we did it. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, man, we survived a semester of college together. I was like, is that what you think this was? You know, <laughs> like I had a great time my first semester of college. This was not my first <laughs> this was something a little stricter, but but it, it was it was safe, and we knew it was safe, and I think that was the most important thing. You know, being in there, it gave you a sense of security, knowing that the health and safety component was locked down. There was no there was no wiggling on that, and all the basketball had to do was live up to itself in terms of the competition level. As long as the players showed up and competed the way you'd expect them to for a championship, whether we were in the bubble or on Mars, that's what was most important, and I thought they handled that. I, I can't imagine the perspective as time goes on, the things that are going to come flashing back in terms of everything that made this so unique. And as we move forward, you know, what used to be NBA summer and the off season this is now moving into, uh, of course, the fall months. We're not exactly sure when the league is going to turn. We're hearing Martin Luther King Day now as a target. Do you uh, you have anything new on that? No, I mean, I was on a call yesterday, um, you know, kind of fleshing out some ideas and details about when that's going to be. Everybody's kind of in a, in a holding pattern waiting to hear an official word. But, yeah, Martin Luther King Day has been – you know, if that's the start of games, teams need to have at least two months' notice that that's going to be when games start so they can kind of figure out a schedule and get, you know, get their guys convened for, for training camp. It would make sense if you're thinking about the break between the finals and when we start up again just in terms of months, the calendar, physical calendar itself. But I, I'm, I'm looking at it and going, how do you – if you're the Lakers in the heat, and you just finished the finals in early October. Is your body clock going to be ready January 1st? Get back at it. Like, I know mentally the players are on that routine. You know, they, their lives work along that clock. You know, that when the season starts, when it ends. I know that the Christmas Day games is something that the owners didn't want to give up. The, the spotlight, the revenue. But I think if we look at football and where the NFL calendar is and, and will be, Martin Luther King Day makes about as much sense as anything just to give you um, some runway if, if you're the NBA to ramp up for another season. You know, being in the bubble and watching the game from afar, living out here in L.A., mm -hmm. we were all kind of anticipating this clash between the Clippers and the Lakers. And the Clippers have been in the media a little bit lately. And what did it feel like being in the bubble watching this team kind of, I mean, they kind of self, it was like. They imploded. They, they imploded, you know. And it, so what was it like being inside watching it and living out here in L.A.? Because, you know, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was like they were up 3-1, everything is good. Yeah. The Lakers were waiting. It was like what we've all been waiting for. The basketball world was anticipating this. We got posters of Kawhi Leonard out here. <laughs> Everyone saying this is what we wanted. What was it like being in the bubble, witnessing that, and what what was that buzz like? It, you know, it was strange. Um, there's a there was a 1.7 mile circuit that you could. It was a road around the property um, that you could ride a bike or walk or jog or whatever around. And and I hit it daily um, on a bike. You know, just riding for an hour. 
getting get your mind freed up. And I would see one of the staffers, one of the coaches from Denver, who's a really good friend of mine, known him for, you know, 16, 17 years. And um, when they got down 3-1, you know, I, you know, you're seeing them. And they had 3-1 in the previous round they come back from. But this was different. It's like, you down 3-1 to the Clippers. So I'm like, I'm giving him a pound, you know, the day of, of what I think is going to be his last day in the bubble. Like, you know, I'm telling the man, good to see you, you know, take care of the family, get home, I'll holler at you, this, that, and the other. And then I saw him again the next day. And I was like, well, <laughs> all right, y'all survived one elimination, you know. And as they kept surviving, by the time we got to, to the game seven of that series, I was less concerned about him leaving than I was, man, y'all got the Clippers right where you want them. And there was mm. no adjustment from the Clippers. That's what he was talking about. He was kind of surprised. They were waiting for the Clippers to make an adjustment to what they were doing in the fourth quarters of those last three games, and it never happened. And so it makes you wonder, was it the players that abandoned ship for the Clippers? Was it Doc who kind of threw his hands up? Where was the disconnect? But the Clippers clearly had something go sideways. Um, they were up double digits, I think 12 points in game seven in the second half and couldn't hold that what, lead. What, I mean, what did you, what did you see? I mean, cause a lot of times when you're watching the game on television, yeah, you know, it's different than when you're there. What did you see? Like, was it a body language? Was yeah. it, was it, was, it, was, it, was, it was trusting? It was abandonment of like, even when they got up 12 in that, in game seven, you look, you watching the Clippers look at each other as they go back to the bench. When, when the Nuggets started coming back and it was like, they didn't have that look like, oh, we got this. They had that look like, what, like who's getting ready to fix, like who's gonna rescue us? Who's gonna save us? And there was nobody there. Um, Jamal, now granted, Jamal Murray went from playing basketball to performance art. Like he literally went into a completely different stratosphere with his game. Um, he was doing stuff that, I don't even know if he knew he could do it until that moment. You know, and, and guys have those breakthroughs. They're, you hear players talk about it all the time, like how they get in the moment and start making shots and making plays that just come instinctually. And I just felt like the Clippers were programmed for a very specific thing, for a very um, plot. They had a plot to how they were going to get through the bubble. And it was all hinging on them getting to the conference finals is where they felt like they had to discover themselves as a team and I just thought they were looking past Denver in the worst way possible. They didn't recognize what all of us were seeing. And that's that the team that closes in these crucial games is the team that's going to win this series. And they didn't close in games five and six the way you would if you're serious about winning a championship. And, and thank you. That, that leads us to um, the coaching changes that have gone on. And obviously it starts with Doc Rivers being out with the Clippers and BJ and I have talked about it a number of times and I'm sure you have your thoughts, something uh, we didn't expect to see or still don't entirely understand, but you know, Ty Lue in, Doc to Philly, to York, Stan Van Gundy gets the NOLA job, uh, Indiana is filled, Billy Donovan to Chicago, Nash of course to Brooklyn. Um, which of these new coaches do you think is going to have the greatest impact on their new situation? Oof, that's a great question. Um, I honestly think Stan has the opportunity to 
to dig in and, and make the most headway in New Orleans, given their roster, what they're trying to build down there, and what the expectations will be. Um, I think Ty Lue was the most obvious and best hire. Um, not that I have anything against Doc, but for as long as he was with the Clippers, it just felt like that that run had had kind of gone through it course you know like there wasn't what else is doc gonna say even with new additions like Kawhi and paul george but what else is he gonna say to that group that's gonna get them to do something different than what they're all settled into doing um you know lou williams pat beverly montrez Harold, these guys i'm not saying anybody could have coached them at this stage but it they needed they needed a different vibe to play on a new voice they needed a new voice yeah a new definitely and and i think that's for any coach. Even a great coach can can run out of steam with it with a certain group. Um, I think Nate Bjorkman is is uh, the most intriguing hire in in Indiana because a lot of people don't know him, don't know him, or don't know his history. Um, I've known about him since he was coaching in the G League. Um, you know, he was a he was a standout coach at that level, and has been a guy that people have been talking about in basketball circles for years. I was honestly surprised. In a, in a good way that Indiana hired him. Because um, I think you need new blood. I think there's a, there comes a time with a team when you just got to have some, some new blood. And that's where Steve Nash comes in for me as the most intriguing potential. You know, what can he do in, in his first season with Kyrie and KD, who if there's anybody on planet Earth that, sh- that has the motivation to, to remind us all what kind of player he is coming up this year, it's Kevin Durant. Like we've, we moved on from these conversations about the GOAT and, you know, is it Kawhi's league? Is it LeBron's league still? And this, that, and the other. And Kevin Durant had to be sitting by going, did I not win back-to-back finals MVPs and outplay LeBron? You know, it's, it's like it never happened. So I'm, I'm fascinated by what's going to go on in Brooklyn. Um, I have no idea how good a coach Steve Nash will be. But if he's anywhere near as good a coach as he is, a uh, player and human being, you know, he's got he an opportunity of a lifetime in Brooklyn because that's a ready-made team in terms of a, a group that's prepared to play at a high level with, with two superstars, which is the prerequisite at this stage of the game to win in a championship. I have to put you on the spot here. Mm-hmm. Who you got for next year? Who you got, who you got winning it next year? Because – I don't know anybody. Now, there's a lot of Miami Heat fans all of a sudden, but I don't know if there was anybody who had the Miami Heat coming out of the East. They were my do- Listen, all right. This, no, no, uh, come on now. Now, come on. I got to give on. myself a little bit of credit here. So I went to Miami in December. Right. And I spent a week down there just when they were kind of taking off as a group. Were you watching the games or you went down there? No, uh, I went down there to, <laughs> to, well, to watch them and to watch South Beach a little bit. I had to babysit right. South Beach a little bit. But I went down and just kind of spent a week around them, you know, around, I want to see what they look like with Jimmy Buck mm-hmm. and, and kind of see if Duncan Robinson and, you know, Tyler Harrow and, and Kendrick Nunn and, and Bam, if this was real, like they had a, re- they got up to a really good start. And I was convinced when I came back, I wrote, I wrote a big story for NBA.com about them. And, um, and I was telling all the guys I worked with, I was like, listen, Miami could be a – like, they're going to be a dark horse problem in the East playoffs. Now, I didn't say they're going to the finals and go right. – and go peel two games off the Lakers, but I felt like they were the one team in the East that had the combination of shooting, athleticism, 
playmaking, you know, and just sheer talent that, that could do it. And this was before Goran Dragic showed up and did what he did in the postseason. This was just based on Jimmy, those young shooters, and Bam, who I thought was on the road to being an all-star, which is exactly what he did. Um, so I'm next year, if I'm looking at it, and I'm trying to ask myself, like, what's the formula? Because the bubble skewed everything. Anything yeah, right. that happened in the bubble, I think, needs to be used as, as kind of a, a let's get 10 years out of it, and then we'll examine that. Let's not use that as what as our criteria for judging what comes next. Um, I think the Lakers are, are a prohibitive favorite in the West no matter what. Really? You know, yeah, but I, I just feel like LeBron and AD showed us that that combination is every bit as powerful as we thought it would be. And that means everybody else in the West is chasing it. But in the East, I feel like Boston is one piece away from being the team that plays for a championship in the East. I'm not sure what that piece what is. Piece? Yeah, what, yeah, what I was going to say, what piece? What, I don't what, know what yet. I'm, I'm thinking about them, and I'm, and I'm looking at them, BJ, and I'm saying they got all the, the right parts, but I don't know if they fit together. I don't know if they need another guy that makes makes them fit together the way they should. And maybe it's a – Maybe it's a guy who's not an offensive-minded player. Maybe it's a defensive-minded player that comes in and kind of ties them together on the defensive end because they got all the scoring you could ask for. Mm -hmm. They got plenty of that. I don't know if they have a natural leader who serves as kind of that backstop for them. They don't, you know, they don't protect the rim the way I thought you needed to to be effective, and that and that showed itself um, against Miami. Bam was just better than Daniel Tice. And I'll play them. Um, right. But I feel like if there's a piece out there for them to grab, they could be the team in the East to me that, that takes off. Yeah. They also weren't ready. Clearly, blowing no. leads. Take, yeah. yeah. BJ will start chuckling in a moment. So I'm a big Celtics <laughs> guy. And they just, they just weren't ready. They had leads in games. And yeah, as good as Tice has become, uh, that. Um, that weakness was was exposed by Bam uh, big time in those games. And, you know, if Gordon, listen, we can play the if game all we want. The Gordon Hayward injury uh, put a lot more pressure on the other guys to be great every night. The Toronto series took a lot out of them. And then you run into the buzz, which was Miami, and they were in an unbelievable groove. So, you know, sticking with looking ahead to next year, it's not like we're heading into an offseason now where there's a ton of free agents. AD is obviously going to figure out what the next contract looks like with the Lakers. Um, you know, I think the most impactful name, whether he returns to Toronto or elsewhere, is Fred Van Fleet. Uh, Gallinari's a free agent. Uh, Montrez Harrell's a free agent. Goran Dragic, we can probably expect to be back in Miami uh, with a, uh, a different kind of deal to keep their uh, books free for 2021. So um, Van Fleet, what do you think uh, the move is there? And what's the impact on Toronto if he chooses to go elsewhere? Well, I mean, I think Toronto would be crazy to let Fred Van Vliet get away. Um, when you've put as much time into player development as the Raptors have and seen it, you know, produce the kind of results that it has. And I'm not just talking about Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam. I'm talking about you know, Norman Powell and all sorts of guys, even some of their young guys who haven't really gotten a chance to shine yet. Chris Boucher, you know, they got such a nice setup 
in, in Toronto in terms of the, the talent and the return on, on investment on so many of those guys. I'd hate to see Van Vliet get away from them now when they're just kind of coming into their own as a group. But if he does, I mean, if he does depart in free agency, and, and as you mentioned, there's not a huge, it's just not a robust free agent class like we've been used to the past few years. And, you know, the number of stars changing places due to a lot of things, um, due to COVID and whatever the finances are going to be and everything else, I don't expect we'll see a whole lot of, a ton of movement of big names, obviously. That that changes the dynamic in the East in terms of who's competing for a title. If if Van Vliet was to leave and stay in the East, that could that could literally shift the power one way or another. You know, like if say a team, and this is just throwing a team out there, but say a team like Philadelphia was able to get their hands on a Fred Van Vliet, and you put that kind of leader, that kind of point guard on a team that to me is desperately desperately in need of that kind of leadership at that position. No offense to Ben Simmons, but that could change things in the East. Um, if Indiana, you know, with, with their new coach who has ties to Fred, Fred Van Vliet, if they become a factor for him in free agency, that could change some things. There's a lot of, to me, there's a lot of different things that could go on based on that one guy changing teams. Not that Fred Van Vliet's a superstar, but he's shown himself to be an impact player and a guy who can play in a championship level environment and, and stick out. And that's important because if we've learned anything the last couple of years, it's that for all the hype that your superstars get, for all the, the attention that's paid to them, think about the guys who came through to help win the last couple of championships. Toronto had a bunch of guys who were considered role players that played huge roles in their championship run. And then we'd, we'd be doing Contavious Caldwell-Pope, um, Rajon Rondo, even Dwight Howard. We'd be doing them wrong if we didn't give them a ton of credit for the Lakers being able to get mm-hmm. to their 17th championship. I mean, these, and, and I think, BJ, you know this better than anybody. Right. You've done it. The, we always give short shrift to role players when we look back in history, and it's always about the stars and them mm-hmm. counting rings. But very rarely have any of these guys won championships without some five-star role players stepping up on the big stage and doing what they've done. And I think Fred Van Vliet is one of those guys. He's a guy, maybe not a superstar, obviously, but a guy who could be critical in a championship space. You know, and I think you made great points there. But I just want to shift back to the stars, the big names. Mm -hmm. In particular, Giannis. I mean, he is a player that could potentially shift wherever he goes, right? He's, he's that level of talent. What, what are we hearing there as far as what's going on up there in Milwaukee? Because obviously, I think it's fair to say that there was, you know, they didn't meet the expectations that probably they, they and many in the basketball world felt they should have achieved this year. What are you hearing up there is what they're going to do for not only this year, but potentially what they're going to do to build around him in the future. Yeah, I mean, if they could give him um, a chunk of the state, <laughs> rename it, kind of, <laughs> do it. <laughs> they don't want to lose a generational yes. talent, a two-time, you know, league MVP. That I'm trying to think, you know, how you would recover from that. As a right, franchise. Right. And unfortunately for them in this day and age, it's a very real possibility. I mean, 
I don't think there's any pressure on Giannis to make that decision this summer. Mm-hmm. He obviously has next summer, when, whatever next, whenever next offseason shows up based on the calendar. I don't know if it'll be summer or it'll be fall again. Um, but he has another season before he has to make, you know, make a definitive decision about what he wants to do for the next phase of his career. I, like everybody else, the rumors were flying um, all last season. And believe it or not, this is before they made it to the finals, but Miami was the place a lot of people were chirping about. Um, I don't think it's a secret that he and Bam share the same agent. Um, and, and we all know there are ties that bind players in this day and age that lead to, uh, that lead to them pairing up, you know, or, or teaming up and, and chasing championships together. I think it would be I don't I'm, I don't even fathom how you recover from that if you're the Bucks. Right. right. It's not like the Pelicans losing Anthony Davis <clears throat> where they made a trade that gave them assets and then got the number 1 pick obviously and were able to to weather the blow of losing AD. The weird thing to me is the Lakers won a championship and nobody said a word about the Pelicans watching the guy who'd been their franchise player for 7 years go off and win win a title his first year away. Um, which tells you about how much is going on in 2020. Right, that that right. wasn't a, a subplot even for anybody. Um, but I think Giannis, the question really is on Giannis. Like, what do you see as the long-term potential in Milwaukee? Because if Giannis doesn't see championships in his future in Milwaukee, then he's going to have a wandering eye. <clears throat> and that's just, that's just the way it is now. And, and I would be very nervous if I'm the Bucks, because the last two years in the playoffs, you did nothing to, to ease Giannis's fears that you've got the right stuff around him to win a title. Yeah, we've talked Toronto, we've talked Dallas, we've talked Miami. BJ, who was the other one that we talked? Oh, the Warriors, of course. Um, that could have the flexibility and be ideal destination. So, uh, Seiko, you hit it on the head. I mean, the last two playoffs. They also have 2-0 against Toronto, lose four straight, and then obviously what happened this year against uh, Miami. So speaking of, of the Warriors and looking at teams that are either going to return to contention next year or raise their level, uh, we've got Steph Curry, age 32, with a year off. Draymond Green played limited minutes last year. Klay Thompson's been off and rehabbing and looking strong since the ACL in the 2019 Finals. Andrew Wiggins is 25, and they've got the second pick in the draft. So where do you see the Warriors going in terms of uh, exploring another veteran to bring in with that asset or trying to widen this window for success even more and taking another great young talent and bringing them into Warriors culture? I wish that I saw uh, an an immediate impact player in this draft that they could add where they, you know, they could keep that pick and, you know, really incorporate a young guy into their mix and expect him to play at that high level right away. But it's so rare, you know, for a rookie high lottery pick to go to a team that's going to play at that level. I just, it would have to be kind of unprecedented for somebody to come in and do that. Um, And I don't know, I'm still. I'm. I'm just now digging in hard on this draft class. The only, you know, 
I know that everybody thinks Lamelo Ball or Anthony Edwards are, you know, those the most talented wing players. Mm-hmm. That Wiseman is the big that everybody looks at and says long term potential. He's probably going to be the best of that bunch. I don't, I, I don't know if any of those guys look like the right fit as a rookie to come in and be what the Warriors needed to be. So they, I feel like the Warriors even without that pick, whoever that pick might be, if they keep it, if they trade it, just. With Steph Draymond and Clay pissed off about missing the bubble and about being out of the mix for a year, that motivation alone to me vaults them back into the, the top four in terms of Western Conference playoff race. I don't know if Wiggins is yet, I don't know yet if he's the kind of player that elevates those guys, you know, along with those guys to another level. I don't know if he puts them on that fast track to getting right back in the championship contention. I mean, and I, and I look at it like this, you went from Harrison Barnes, which was, you know, good enough to, to help you with that team get to a championship to Kevin Durant, who takes you to an, you know, stratospheric level that nobody could, could compete with. So now Andrew Wiggins, is he, is he even as good as Harrison Barnes would have been in that role? I don't know. I think he would be. I think he's a talented enough player. But I haven't seen enough of him in a Warriors uniform yet to buy into them being right back in in championship contention in the West with him in that spot. And then we got to look. The Warriors didn't just lose KD and and Clay. KD to free agency, Clay to injury. Then Steph gets hurt. They lost Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston to – of those five-star type role players I was talking about. And they don't, you know, how do you replace not just the, the stars in that system, but the, the other guys, the, the, the cogs in that machine? Like, they need a you, – you watched them last year. Like, I was, I was clowning some of the times, and I'm looking out there and looking at the, what the Warriors put on the court compared to what we'd seen from them the previous five seasons. It was not even the same – ballpark in terms of talent seasoning and and ability so i'm confident that the warriors will be in the mix i just don't know if it's top four for sure is it middle of the pack in the west or are they one of those teams that's battling to make the playoffs and and we'll you know i guess it remains to be seen what they do with that draft pick as far as names the Warriors, obviously, we can't doubt what they've done. I mean, you know, they have they have stars. They have Draymond Green. They have Steph Curry, Klay Thompson. As a former player, there's one thing that deteriorates with age. That's speed and quickness. You just don't get that back, especially as a guard. And one thing that's very obvious in watching in the bubble is depth. Depth is very important. Do we feel that the Warriors have the depth to get back there. We know they have the players, especially right. those three players, but do they have the depth? Because I can't be asking Steph Curry, Clay Thompson is coming back from a significant injury. Yeah. We have an unproven player. We, we see his potential in Wiggins, but he, he hasn't done it yet. Do they have the depth to get through a regular season and then – get to the playoffs in an 82-game schedule or something that resembles that. And that's a big question for me. I'm not questioning – if you put those guys – if you just said the playoffs were starting with those three, 
Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> but can they get through this marathon, this journey to get there with the energy so that Steph can be Steph, Clay can be Clay, Draymond can be Draymond, and then we'll piecemeal because Andre and they had a lot of death there that were unsung heroes. And you need that in today's game. Yeah, that's a great question. It's, and mostly because, you know, David West and all of these other right. guys that were so critical um, are no longer a part of that program. I don't know. I don't think they do. I, until I see them put together a roster based on what they got coming back, what they do with that pick, I, I don't know if I could put them in that top four just yet. Um, mm-hmm. I, think the, I think the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, they, those three right off the bat, to me, would, would be ahead of anybody else in the West. Um, right. And that's just based off what we know and what they look like when they finish this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and Denver would be interesting because we don't know what what roster shakeups they have to go through to yep, take that. Yeah. Um, but but they got an opportunity for a lot of their younger guys, for Michael Porter Jr. and other guys to show you what they're potentially capable of. It's one thing to have all that talent in a ceiling. It's another thing to see it in action. Um, and I'm, I'll be honest with you. If I'm another executive in this league looking at Denver's crop of young talent and, and some of the positions where they got guys piled up and fighting for minutes, I'm, I'm blowing up the phones, the Nuggets phones, trying to get my hands on one of those young guys they got. Um, is there a guy in the draft that I would like more than Michael Porter Jr.? If I was the Warriors, probably not. Like, I'm looking at, if I'm looking at a player who would be ideal on the Warriors, oh, man, like Porter Jr. I'm, I'm going to ask you, I'm, I'm gonna ask you this question. He'd be perfect. I'm going to ask you this question. Yeah. Tell me about Bobo. Is that is that the real deal? No, seriously. No, seriously. No, this isn't. Seku, this is his guy. This no, no seriously. Guy. Like, I, know, I see a, so much potential in this kid and the way the game is played today. Is that real or is that just – is that a couple years away? He looked like he could do something if I just threw him out there in the game. I don't know what he can do, <laughs> but is it real, though? I mean, it looks good. It looked good on my television. Yeah, it looked – it looked damn impressive in, <laughs> in, in the bubble. Like, it was hard to walk out certain nights not feeling giddy about he and Porter Jr. and Jokic on the court. I was just thinking, like, we talked, um, you know, a bunch of us talked about it on the bus rides back and forth. And I was like, man, could you imagine what they look like in a couple of right? years with Bowl Bowl, Porter Jr., and damn Jokic? It, it just – Bowl Bowl looked like something. I don't know what he could do. He could do something, though. And I don't know if – you know, that's the thing, BJ. I don't – you don't know what a guy's work ethic is or what his grind is until he gets in a position to cash in on it. Like, we saw the best of in some of the warts with Michael Porter right. Jr. in the bubble. Right. He looked outstanding in the seeding games. You thought, oh, it's on. And then you watched him as the playoffs went on, and you saw some of the deficiencies, some of the things he has to do better. I think Bo Bo's in a similar situation where he's got enough holes in his game still that all this – pent-up excitement that so many of us have watching him, just thinking, like, what he could be. We, we got to hold off for another year or two to see, does he put in the work? Does he have the kind of grind? Does he have what he needs to have in here to put in the work to cash in on it? Um, and I didn't mention Portland as another right, team. Right, right, right. right. Ahead a lot of, of the depth there. A lot of right depth now. with that team. Depth, quality 
of, of right. young talent, Gary Trent. We it seems like another lifetime ago. Gary Trent balled. Yes, he did. Like yeah, he young did. Young guy who showed up and really made a statement about what kind of player he could potentially be in the bubble. That was the best to me. Aside from the watching the the guys you know are going to show up and play big, I just, I just love being able to go up and down rosters in the bubble and look and go, oof. Mikael Bridges is going to be a, you know, this dude's going to be a factor. Like, you could just go on each team throughout the seeding games and go, we got a problem here. Like, this dude keeps working, keeps de- developing his game. It's going to be a problem for somebody. And, and, you, I, I got to ask you quick. one more question. Hold on, hold oh, on. I got to ask one more, yeah, one yeah, more question. One yeah. more question. Yeah. My guy down there in Phoenix, they go 8-0. Yeah, I don't wonder. I'm a huge Monty fan. Yeah. What they are able to do. How impressive was that to see this team play that well in those games? Is it is it is it something that you think that this team will continue, or is that just kind of an anomaly you feel? It's real, um, and I'm biased. Like I, I'm, I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, same hometown as Devin Booker. I've been blowing smoke. I've been telling people for three years that Devin Booker is the best Flash brother that doesn't live in Oakland. long lost splash brother that's right Um, that's right he to me if you if you take the entirety of the bubble the only person who had a more you know who had a more of a breakout bubble experience than him is is my man in denver it's jamal murray what about my my guy down in what about my guy in Indiana? Uh, I, I, nah, T.J. Warren. He, T.J. Warren. T.J. Warren was getting buckets, though. <laughs> yeah, he came back to earth once J- Jimmy Buckets got his claws into him. Like, book balled, and they just had to leave. They had to go home. We don't know right. what he would have done if they did, they'd have kept playing. And he was cooking people. Um, yeah, he was cooking. Monty, Monty tapped into something to me with that Phoenix roster that I love to see. You know how it is, BJ, when, like, you get a group and they turn a corner. I, we saw Oklahoma City do it years ago. Right, right. When they had their young guy, when they had Katie and, and Russ and James together and Ibaka, and you saw it, you was like, oh, like, yeah. they don't mess this up. This team is a problem. Like, Phoenix has the potential to be that problem if the powers that be down there don't mess it up. Let Monty be. Let him work with this group. Let him develop this young group. They got a star in book. They got a big man in eight. And they got, to me, the all ever crucial, they got that utility dude in Bridges. Like, they got a right, guy who's, right. he might right. get 25 one night. He might lock right. somebody up on defense the next. He's going to make a, a critical play here. I mean, like, mm-hmm. they have the the spare parts. Just let money keep putting it together and massaging it. And you could you could have an organic quality playoff team which is, to me, the hardest thing to do. Like, anybody can go out and swing for a big free agent and get over the top one year. But, man, it's hard to put that core together. It's, can you put that nucleus together that allows you to drive that thing over and over again and be a playoff team perennially, you know, in the West? Because you know how the West is. Like, right, San Antonio, not, we watched them do it for all these years. And even if even the Magic ran out for the Spurs, you just – you, it's so hard to be competitive at that high level in the West that you need the time to do what Denver has done, to grow your team into the kind of group that can compete at that level. Just uh, circling it back to the, the points you both made about the Warriors and it's not only the depth, it's the experience of that depth. So 
you know, someone like Eric Pascal, who showed a lot of promise last year, fits in with who they are, both present and the future. But as far as, you know, you mentioned Livingston, you mentioned Iguodala, you mentioned David West. Who's that vet out there that still has enough left in the tank that would fit the skills and positional needs of the Warriors for the upcoming year that you think would be a good fit? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of experience in this league and there's a lot of guys at this point who are placing uh, uh winning above all so who who's that vet that they can bring in to be the next d west or to be the next andre or be the next sean livingston you know he, he's a bit undersized probably for the position he would have to play on that team but i think if they get their hands on a dude like paul Millsap, who's at the in the latter stages of his career as soon as you started player. talking, as soon as you started talking about Denver <laughs> and knowing he's going to be out there, that's the yeah. I mean, because yeah, they got to make room in Denver for their young guys. So a guy like that ends up being available. And if I'm the Warriors, what are you looking for? You're looking for a guy with the kind of character, the work ethic, and the professionalism that's going to come in and be able to assume the position in that organization, come right in and know exactly what's expected of him. The Warriors thrived on those types of guys, those kinds of vets. Millsap sticks out to me in a major way. Um, I've, I've heard people talking, and this I don't agree with this. I've heard people saying that Dwight Howard would be an ideal kind of a big man lug like JaVale was when he was with the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I see that fit the way some other people do. And, and good for Dwight showing up the way he did for the Lakers. Yep. I just don't think he's a fit in terms of the way they want to play. They're going to want to play, to me, at a faster pace than what Dwight might be capable of playing. Um, I'm going to throw you a name yeah. out there. Yeah. Serge Ibaka. Oh. That, to me, would, that to me, would be the ideal fit. And I, as much as I love Millsap, him and Draymond, they overlap each other. Undersized players. Serge is more of a rim protector than than Millsap. Yes, and he could shoot the three. He could play that vertical basketball that's necessary, and he's an interchangeable part. I think Serge Serge Ibaka. I think he would be the ideal fit. That's a great pick. Like it's and and again, like you know, this BJ, you know this. This is when your your pro personnel people make their money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys who know the league inside and out, top to bottom. There's one of those vets lying around on somebody's team. Right. And, and the Warriors know it. It's just a matter of how do you go out and get them? Like, how do you get your hands on them? Because I'll never forget. I remember when they got Iguodala years ago, and, I, and I'm arguing with one of my colleagues. I'm like, what is Andre Iguodala? You know, like, he's supposed to get you over the hump. You know, all the minutes he's played, I'm like, come on. Like, I don't see it. And lo and behold, Iguodala ends up being a linchpin player for them for winning that first championship. So somebody in that Warriors organization has their eyeballs on the right kind of player. It's just a matter of can you get your hands on him and does he end up staying healthy enough to play that role you need him to play? And you're right, Serge. To me, Serge is another guy who who probably improved his stock around the league. Might not have showed up to fans, but I guarantee you, other teams around the league will watch yeah, him. He's, he's a very valuable Serge piece. Got everything you need. And he's gonna probably come at a much cheaper price now. Than, we you know, know the Warriors; they got a lot of big contracts over there. Oh yeah, <laughs> they can't afford to go uh, take the window shop, but I don't know if they can afford to walk in. It's like, <laughs> uh, 
Man, he'd fit, he'd fit beautifully. Seiko, we appreciate the time. Um, thank you very much. Glad you're adjusting to life outside the bubble, as challenging it may be. And, uh, yeah, let's make it a point to, uh, to talk again following the draft, and we'll see uh, who's positioned where and what the Warriors do with that number two pick. could be interesting. Who knows? Maybe it heads to, to Toronto on a block ball. We might have started something today, man. Listen, I appreciate that. It was good to talk. Hey, man, appreciate it. Seiko, man. Great, man. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for sharing the knowledge. And uh, it's always beautiful talking to another Michigander, you know? You know hey, what? Hey, you know what? Yeah, hey, appreciate hey. it, BJ. All right, you guys, too. Right. Be, be Thanks, good. Guys. Yep. BJ, that was awesome. Great to see you today, my man. Um, I know you and Sekou have a great relationship. So always good when we get one of the vets on the show. And uh, he dropped some great knowledge. Yeah, Sekou is the best. And... Um, Great stuff, good things to think about, and uh, hope you guys enjoy it as much as we did, because that was, that was a lot of fun, my man. Good combo for sure. Special thanks as always, producer Mike Lieber, the one and only Bruce Bernstein, editor Tom Phillip, and the entire Pure Hoops Media team. Be sure to check out the Mike Wise Show, dropping each and every Monday. John Fanta drops college ball each Tuesday with Full Court Press. Cash and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong dropping each Wednesday. Monica McNutt, King McClure, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks on Thursdays. And, of course, Fridays, the Pure Hoops Podcast with BJ Armstrong and myself, Eric Newman. Please check out all our shows. Subscribe, download, rate, review share most importantly of all enjoy we'll see you next week on the pure hoops podcast stay healthy stay safe stay pure the pure hoops podcast is a presentation of pure hoops media